listening to the Theology for the Church podcast with Dr. Caleb Leonard, a resource for the church that aims to help Christians explore how Christian doctrine, framed by the biblical story, is to be applied to the Christian life in the context of the local church. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Theology for the Church podcast. Today I'm joined by Jason Thacker, who currently serves as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and Director of the Research Institute at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He also serves as an Assistant Professor of Philosophy and Ethics at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky, where he is also a PhD candidate in Ethics, Public Theology, and philosophy at Southern Seminary. Jason's the author of several books, including Following Jesus in the Digital Age and the Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence in the Future of Humanity. He also served as the editor of and contributed chapters in the Digital Public Square Christian Ethics in a Technological Society and is co-editor of the Essentials in Christian Ethics series with B&H Academic. Today I've invited Jason on the show to discuss how Christians should think about and engage with conspiracy theories, misinformation, disinformation, and propaganda. Jason, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me for this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me, Caleb. Before we jump into specific questions about our our topic, and and maybe some people are listening, they're thinking this is all going to be about the deep state. Hate to disappoint. It's probably not, but it will be an exciting conversation. But but before we jump into that, would, would you uh, mind sharing a little bit more about yourself for our listeners? Just a little bit about your your history and background and how you got where you are today. A little bit about your family, those type of things. Yeah, so I'm married to Dory. We've been married for almost a decade now and have two little boys, a six year old and a four year old, who keep us busy to say the least. Um, but we live, we recently just moved uh, back to Louisville, Kentucky. It's my wife's hometown, um, as I've come on full-time faculty as an assistant professor uh, here at Boyce College teaching philosophy and ethics. And so really looking forward to that and kind of this next season of teaching, um, but then also writing and research, which obviously some of the stuff we'll talk about today. But um, I do a lot of that through my new role at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission as a research fellow. And it's been, uh, it's going to be a really great season uh, kind of as we move forward. This isn't something I ever planned to do in, in Interestingly enough, especially hmm. I, I think today we just had a recent graduation here at the college and thinking back to when I graduated, um, this was the furthest thing from my mind to one, be a professor or <laughs> sure. writer or researcher. Um, I kind of backed my way into it. I had an interesting uh, encounter with a book. I uh, read a book and started thinking thing. it was kind of a secular take on technology and where we're heading into the future. And I thought, man, this doesn't really jive with what I believe as a Christian. Um, and so I started digging a little bit deeper and started writing, and that's what kind of put me on this path of studying ethics and philosophies with a kind of a special emphasis in technology and how it's forming and shaping us as people. Um, and so the Lord had a very different plan in mind than I did, and I'm really grateful for it. No, it's really, really helpful and, and, and super, super interesting just to see how, how God's kind of led you to, to where you are today. Uh, Jason, to start us off, it, it would be helpful, I think, to just lay out some definitions for our listeners before we get into kind of some specific questions, I think. Uh, so what is meant by the terms you use in, in your book chapter in the digital public square on on conspiracy theories? What, what What's meant by some of these terms like misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories, and 
I, you know, I think you throw in propaganda and fake news and probably my favorite of uh, alternative facts. Um, I like I like that one a lot. So what what are some just definitions for that? Because there's some overlap, but there's also some distinction there as well. Yeah, it's, it's always important when you enter into really any conversation, but especially this one, to define what you mean by the terms. I think for a lot of listeners, when they hear the word conspiracy theory, or especially disinformation or misinformation, uh, we kind of stand up straight in our chairs and we're like, okay, we're ready to fight almost because yeah. <laughs> it depends. It, depending on where you are in society and who you're interacting with, you know, just basic Christian beliefs are considered mis or disinformation. Uh, we can see, you know, even ideas of conspiracy theories, and it feels very political, I think, for most of us. Um, and one of the things that I try to do in the book and kind of even throughout all of my work, but especially this volume that we edited, um, is to say this isn't something that's just happening to those people over there. It's always kind of an us versus them mentality. I write about mm-hmm. this in Following Jesus in a Digital Age. We live in a time of intense polarization and tribalization and us versus them mentality. And that's true in some ways. But in other ways, when we think about the way that technology is forming and shaping us, especially our pursuit of truth, this isn't just happening to those people over there. It's actually happening to all of us, including the church. We're not immune mm-hmm. from these things, even though we are the ones who follow the way, the truth, and the life, and the personal work of Jesus Christ. We are still given over sometimes to conspiracy theories or fake news or misinformation. Yeah. And even as a writer and researcher and a professor, I have also been duped by fake news before um, and unwittingly became a propagator of fake news to my wife and to my in-laws and then kind of had to go back and say, actually, I'm sorry, I didn't get full context. Yeah. <laughs> so to kind of define our terms and what we mean here, um, you have the idea of kind of misinformation or fake news that often kind of talks about the same thing. It's often the unintentional uh, distribution of uh, misleading facts or incorrect facts is something we say, well, this is true and it's not actually true, and often it's done unintentionally. That's the idea behind misinformation. Mm -hmm. Disinformation kind of takes it a ramp up a little bit. There's an intentionality behind it. So you think of something uh, knowingly trying to deceive someone. Um, This is also kind of an overlap not only with conspiracy theories, um, but even kind of the broader term of propaganda. And one of the things that's interesting as you dive into this debate a little bit more is that we feel like misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories, it feels like a new phenomenon. But in reality, people, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago have been long writing about the influence of propaganda. Hmm. The thing is, is that propaganda was often produced by states with state interest in mind. And so you had governments kind of promoting or distributing or even engaging in some form or fashion with propaganda. Um, And so it's not all that new per se. We just kind of have some new language, especially with the wide scale distribution of that. But the idea of a conspiracy theory obviously is this idea of a group of conspirators, someone who is behind kind of a larger scheme. It's often saying, you know, the truth they don't want you to know about the real mm-hmm. story and there's often who those who promote it feel like they're kind of on the inside and we can kind of unpack that a little bit what draws us into these things but the idea is distributing fake news or misinformation or um fa- passing uh, kind of um incorrect things off as facts uh, misrepresenting misrepresenting the truth and that's kind of what we mean by that so it's not just a political kind of left or right issue it's actually the world in which we inhabit mm-hmm. is we often can't tell if something we see online is true or not and so what do we do about that and how is that shaping and forming even the church itself as we engage in an increasingly technological society 
Yeah, absolutely. And those are really helpful definitions. And so kind of building off of that, what what is the nature and appeal of misinformation to us as, you know, now fallen human beings? And then what what are maybe some of the historical underpinnings or roots to the rise of, you know, kind of these dangers that we've, you know, mentioned and, and see kind of playing out in the digital public square, you know, today? I know you mentioned a couple of things in, in the chapter, such as, you know, like the the enlightenment, you know, empiricism's rise to prominent influence and moral decline and those type of things. Could you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, there's a couple different kind of stories here. And one of the things that I often teach my students and remind them of is that we need to reject simplistic narratives. It's often easy to say, well, this happened and then this happened. That's what led to this. Mm-hmm. Things don't typically happen like that, especially in the, the history of ideas and thoughts sure. and philosophy and really all the other disciplines as well. Things don't happen in a vacuum. So there's kind of two parallel tracks, and I'll start with kind of the, the biblical understanding in many ways. Um, yeah. It's when it sounds trite to say this, but really the start, kind of the original fake news, misinformation, conspiracy theory was in Genesis 3. Now, mm. a lot of people go, ah, are you serious? Like, this is sin. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but if you go yeah. back to the text and actually see what's happening, it's fascinating. What's actually taking place there is that God has created Adam and Eve. He's given them a job to do, responsibility that they are to be his image bearers, that they're to represent him um, in the way that they care for the planet and steward and care for one another and build a family and society. And then the snake comes in and tells them a lie. And it's not just a lie, but it's an intentional lie. He's trying to deceive them, to get them to do something, and that's often the motivation behind even disinformation is not only the intentionality, but also trying to shape our behavior. It's trying to get us to do something, often kind of with a, an undercover motive or something. And so I always jokingly say that, you know, the serpent in the garden is actually the first conspiracy theorist. He's saying, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're not like God. I know God has said you're like God. You know, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, that you're created in the very image of God, male and female, he created them. I know he says you're like God, but you're not. If you really want to be like God, you need to eat of this fruit. And that's one of the things that's kind of striking is this pursuit of truth, this pursuit of knowledge. And you even Mm -hmm. see that with Adam and Eve is that it's the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil. This kind of pursuit of knowledge and this idea of kind of taking hold of it ourselves and being kind of the ones in charge, being the ones who get to determine what's right and wrong, rather than this external kind of overarching supernatural reality of who God is and how he's created us in Mm. his image, we seek to kind of become like gods ourselves in that sense. So in some sense, you can go back to even Genesis 3 and kind of throughout the biblical narrative and see this idea of misinformation and disinformation, conspiracy theories, fake news even in that sense. Yeah. Now granted, that's kind of anachronistic to read that back into the story in some ways, but in many ways, this this idea of misrepresenting reality, seeking to kind of alter and shift things for our own benefit is the nature of sin. That's what we do. We seek to reorder things for our own pleasure, for our own benefit. The other flip side of that is that you kind of go back into you realize in philosophical history, and we don't have to go super deep here because I know not everybody loves philosophy. <laughs> but if you do go back into kind of the rise of the Enlightenment and kind of the turn towards empiricism, what was happening is that there was this pursuit of let's pursue knowledge – 
Let's pursue truth, but we don't need this kind of transcendent reality. We can do this through nature. We can do this through the empirical method of what's right in front of us. And so instead of looking at society, looking at the world around us with inherent, seeing an inherent meaning, an inherent reality, something that's external to us that we are then to correspond and change our lives to be in accordance with, what did we do? We sought to describe and to see the world around us in something almost like raw material that we can kind of shift and change. We can manipulate things. And technology fueled this. It gave us the ability to do things that once weren't possible, gave us the illusion that we were like God, that we could determine right from wrong, that we didn't need God to see that objective reality, but it's something more subjective or even relative to ourselves. And so that's a shift that you see kind of happen throughout philosophical history into the 20th century. And that's where you really get into kind of the way that specifically propaganda really took hold in our society. You see this in Hitler's propaganda. It's one of the things that I think a lot of people, when you read a chapter like this, you don't imagine that you're going to come across Mein Kampf and Adolf yeah. Hitler. I remember <laughs> presenting this paper and one of the attendees was saying, man, I did not realize that you were just going to have Hitler right at the bottom of that page. It just kind of shook <laughs> yeah. me a little bit. Um, but you see this kind of manipulation, this seeking of power and control and authority to um, override the dignity, value, and worth of every human being to seek power, fame, and control over others. And you see the way that propaganda is used by that, not only by the state, but increasingly by anyone with access to a smartphone now. We have the ability to share, which is good. We want that ability to democratize information, to be able to share truth, to be able to gather together. To uh, It's not that truth is kind of relegated to a certain group of elites per se is that it's spread out that we all have access to those things the flip side of that is that we also have access to those things so now it's easier mm -hmm. to share these kind of conspiratorial thoughts or misinformation to sway and kind of change the ability of those around us uh, or change kind of manipulate their behavior to get them to do what we want them to do and so it's kind of there's differing levels of that narrative kind of playing it out that we see kind of getting us to this place where we have really an onslaught of misinformation and disinformation and conspiracy theories that is really not only just affecting those people over there, but really shaping even the nature of the church and how we navigate with some of these things. And that's one of the reasons I'm glad that you want to have a conversation like this is because this isn't, again, just a problem out there. It's a mm -hmm. problem that all of us are in, in, uh, encountering. And how do we seek to live faithfully as we pursue the way, the truth, and the life through the personal work of Jesus Christ? Yeah, absolutely. And I think just having those historical roots is is really helpful and to see that, you know, this, it does help when we're rooting it in scripture to see that like it isn't just a right and a left or liberal and conservative type of thing, but that it affects all of us and it affects every, you know, sphere. And in your books, you know, titled The Digital Public Square. So I have to ask you before we jump into some kind of church related questions, you know, just, just what role has you know, social media and other technological advances played kind of in the rise of misinformation and disinformation and conspiracy theories and, and the like. And you've kind of hinted at this, you know, all already. Uh, but how how has social media really played into this and kind of sped up, you know, just uh, how inundated we are with, with all of this, you know, information that we have to process and figure out is, is this truth? Is this reality? Um, or is this just a total, you know, lying and being duped here? Yeah, I'll start off with a little personal confession. Um, it's 
years ago, I, especially even as I was writing this and working on this project, I was uh, standing in my kitchen. I remember vividly where I was and what I was supposed to be doing and what I was actually doing. I was supposed to be washing the dishes for my wife um, while she was feeding our children. Yeah. Um, I was uh, <laughs> looking at my phone, and I shouldn't been, but I was, and I saw something, and I said, hey, babe, you will not believe what I just read. And I had read a quick headline, saw a picture, little commentary, and just assumed, well, I guess this is true. Um, and I should have known better. It's actually kind of interesting. As I go back, I'm kind of ashamed of myself a little bit uh, because I was given over to it because it, it kind of confirmed what I already thought. Um, that's often what happens, with, with especially with misinformation, is that it can kind of confirms your priors, and it seems like evidence to kind of support what you already had been believing. And sure. that's what happened to me. And so I said, hey, babe, I can't. you will never believe this. She goes, oh, that is crazy. I can't believe that's happening. Unknowingly, she was also on the phone with her parents. She goes on and tells them, and then kind of the whole snowball thing. About five minutes later, um, I find out that I was actually duped by fake news, that it was completely completely falsified. And it was crazy yeah. thing is it was actually being reported on a major media site. They quickly kind of took it down, repurposed it, said, you know, this isn't true, da, 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 gave the facts or what have you. And uh, from there, I had to then apologize. And so when we think about the way that technology is shaping and forming us is something I do in the very first chapter of this book, actually. So this is kind of chapter nine or 10, if I remember right, as we mm -hmm. talk about kind of dangers in the digital public square. But one of the things that I want to do as we enter into this conversation is it feels at times that the, the questions that we face, the challenges we face in a digital age seem novel and new. They seem like we've really never had to cross this before. What are we going to do? How, you know, how do we navigate this? But what my kind of premise in throughout all this book is that it's not that technology is really causing us to ask new questions per se. It's causing us to ask these kind of age-old questions in light of these new opportunities. And what I mean by that is that technology isn't just a tool that we use. I think that's one of the things that's really popular in the church today. We think that technology is simply a tool. It's neutral. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad, but it's really just what matters is the way we use it. We can use it with wisdom, we can use it with folly, um, but it's neutral in that sense. I think the Bible actually presents a very different picture, and I think that just our own experience and reality also presents a very different picture. Because I think for many of us, when we spend extra time on social media, we feel kind of that low-level angst and anxiety. Or why do we feel drawn, this is kind of convicting for myself, is why do I feel drawn to always check my phone? Why do I feel like I'm missing something? I mean, you may mm -hmm. be sitting in the middle of a podcast right now and feel that urge <laughs> to like, where's my phone? Oh, I don't know where it is. Oh, no, okay, it's right here. It's probably about a foot from you at all times throughout the entire day, even as you sleep mm -hmm. for many of us. And so, but we always are kind of looking over, like, did we get a notification? What Did we miss something? What's going on there? Well, guess what? Technology's shaping you. It's forming you. It's causing this expectation of new, expectation of kind of notifications or you're missing something. But it's also shaping our pursuit of truth because we are inundated with so much information. I mean, you think of just a casual scroll on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you know, kind of choose choose your favorite social media app, you know, Facebook, whatever. Just in a few swipes of our thumb, we can be exposed to so many different news stories, so much information, so many cat videos that we can't, yeah. you know, we just keep going. And it's that mm -hmm. infinite scroll. It just keeps going. It keeps going. There's always something new to check. It almost feels like kind of a, a uh, the, the old... Um, 
uh, slot machines where you pull down the handle and it's just yeah, what comes yeah. next. And you just keep scrolling. And it's like, oh, man, then there's this, that, and the other. So we are overwhelmed. And one of the authors, Alan Jacobs, writing a book called Breaking Bread with the Dead. It's not actually about dead people, but it's about uh, engaging with old ideas and old figures. He says that we live almost in this sense of battlefield triage. We are inundated and overwhelmed with information. So we're just trying to go from here to here and just try to do whatever we can. And we keep moving because we have limited resources. We have limited time. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? Well, one of the things that we do is we start lumping people together in ideas. But another thing we do is we also can be duped by things. It can confirm our priors. It can uh, cause us to understand or to see people in a particular way. It's easy to share these things online at scale. What once may have been that random kind of conspiracy theory that maybe just your friend knew about or, you know, the idea of like wearing a tinfoil hat or something like that. Yeah. Um, it was isolated to maybe a very small group, but now that very small group can connect with people all around the world, and so it makes things feel bigger. So the idea of spreading this stuff at scale, which is what happens with social media and how it shapes that, it shapes it at scale so we see more of it so it's more believable. Or there are other people who think like me. This must be true. And so there's a lot that goes into that, not only our understanding of truth, our also understanding of our own responsibility for the right news or information or fake news and misinformation, as well as our identity. It can also become like I'm the, I'm the standard bearer, the arbiter of truth. I'm the one who really knows what's going on and the rest of you have been duped. So we start to kind of build our identity in that in some ways. So there's kind of a, a multi kind of a faceted approach to understanding the way that technology is shaping and forming us, especially in our pursuit of truth. No, that's really, that's really helpful. And as, as you're kind of breaking that down for us, I'm just thinking, you know, as a, you know, as a pastor, a lot of times I, what I experience from people, you know, that have a lot of anxiety, mm -hmm. um, a lot of depression often linked to you know, screen time, whether that's, uh, because of, uh, say an addiction to pornography or they just love being on social media, whatever, is that there's, there's almost this in a certain way, like there, there, there's so much evil, right. And, and sin in the world. And, and, but I'm located in a body in, in one place, right. At one time. And I can't do anything about it, but I'm still stirred up as if it's going on next door to me. Right. And, and it almost makes it so that it becomes really difficult to engage with the people that are in closest proximity to me to really engage in meaningful uh, embodied community uh, because I'm, I'm so entrenched in, you know, this, this digital world, what's going on over here. I even impose those problems um, into like my community or my church, even if they're not there, even if they're not present to, uh, the point where I can start to think that those things are actually happening here, have this fear that we're headed that way because, you know, I heard somebody use this buzzword over here and maybe my small group leader or pastor mm -hmm. said something similar here. He didn't, I, I didn't, you know, really ask him what he meant by that, but I'm just assuming because I see this all over the place that maybe he meant this. And so then it just becomes almost this firestorm of uh, just a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety, a lot of, a lot of fear. And, you know, even if it's in, you know, that this guise of wanting to be, you know, doctrinally faithful, 
it, it can turn into, you know, maybe heresy hunting or, you know, something, you know, something like that. And, and so it's really difficult to, to navigate because sometimes people have really good intentions, right? You yeah. want to guard sound doctrine in the church. You want your church members to care about what's, what's going on, you know, in the world and to be able to spot, um, you know, when, when folly opens its mouth, we want them to have wisdom to be able to recognize that. But also to to realize that, you know, s- sometimes getting caught up in that mess, though, uh, it doesn't allow me to actually engage in meaningful ways where I'm, you know, presently at in, in this, you know, physical body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important point as you think through. It's, it's, it's crazy to me. Well, it's crazy, but completely understandable, I guess, at the same time, that often we know more about people around the world or even across the nation than we do about the people who maybe live 20 or 30 feet from us. Yeah. Here in the suburbs, <laughs> at least that's uh, the distance, maybe even closer. Um, and the idea is that we don't know our neighbors as well as we may know people all around the world. And part of that is a benefit of social media is to be able to connect, to have access to all of this information. The flip side of that, because technology isn't just just a tool that we use that's inherently neutral. It's actually forming us. It's shaping us. It has certain values uh, that only the technology is designed to, but it has uh, values kind of encoded in it that it's trying to shape and change our behavior. It wants you to buy this or do this or vote this way or see this way or kind of uh, often it's to buy more stuff. Often we see, especially with advertising online, is to shape our behavior. It's shaping our values, the things that we find true. One of the ways I describe the way technology shapes us is it shapes our pursuit of God and our understanding of God. It shapes our understanding of who we are, especially as image bearers. And it shapes our perception of the world around us. Is there inherent meaning, purpose, and direction rooted in creation? Or is this something that's more of kind of raw material that we can kind of manipulate and change as if we're God and craft our own realities, craft our own ideas? But you, you bring up a really, really important point. No one thinks that they're a conspiracy theorist. They think they're pursuing truth, and there's yeah. a good there's a good nature to that actually, and that's one of the things that frustrates me about this conversation sometimes about conspiracy theories and misinformation, especially in the church, is we treat people as if they're just ignorant. We treat people as if they're less than. We treat people, you know, especially those who may be given over to some of these things, as if they're just pursuing folly or they're selfish or arrogant or prideful. And often they're just being duped. They're being mm-hmm. manipulated by people who are trying to get them to do certain things yeah. outside of them to for per, kind of selfish purposes. But they don't not, – not only you don't believe you're a conspiracy theorist, you think you're one seeking truth. We want people seeking truth. We want people proclaiming truth. But one of the things that wisdom dictates, and we see this throughout the Proverbs and even in the personal work of Jesus Christ ultimately, is that we are to be people of truth but also people of grace. We're not – these are not – you know, these are bedfellows. They're together, the idea of pursuing truth and pursuing grace and modeling that in our interactions. And that's actually one of the ways that I think we can shape the debate today, mm-hmm. especially around some of these dangers in the digital public squares, to be people full of truth but also full of grace. And one of the things that I found fascinating in my own life over the last few months, kind of taking a break from some social media platforms, I am actually a happier person. I don't feel as I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. that I'm not stressed, but I, sure. I know I don't have some of the low level anxiety because, well, did you see this? Did you see this? And did you see this? You know, that kind of 
and now this, and now this, to quote Neil Postman from years ago that he said with cable news, but we see that especially prevalent where it's just a few seconds, where it's this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And it's crazy. A lot of that stuff kind of falls below the fray and kind of falls out of our eyesight and our understanding and remembrance um, as quickly as it comes in. But And that creates a kind of that low-level anxiety that I think to navigate some of that is to slow down. Some of the practical things that people ask, like, what do you do? How do you navigate this? Part of it is yeah. slowing down. It sounds silly. It sounds trite. But the idea of technology is to make things more convenient, better, and faster. One of the things that we counteract that with wisdom is that it's slow and methodical. It's thoughtful. Just because someone posts something online that you may disagree with, it doesn't mean that you have to immediately respond. Maybe you should just read it. How many times have we shared something online and not actually read the story? We just read the headline and then the picture, mm -hmm. not knowing that that picture and that headline was actually designed to uh, elicit an emotional response rather than a wisdom-filled response, a thoughtful response from us. So the idea of just slowing down, uh, years ago on Twitter, there was this uh, really great feature. I kind of wish they'd bring it back. And you went to go retweet something, and it would come up and said, have you read this? Have you already read yeah. this? Or <laughs> yeah. do you want to read this first? Mm -hmm. And all that did, what did it do? It created a little bit of friction. Yeah, you could keep on retweeting. It didn't matter. But it also created this friction. Oh, maybe I should read it. And maybe it, if it happened for 5% of the people who saw that notification, maybe they slowed down and read it. And it helped to kind of slow us down a little bit so that we pursued wisdom so that we weren't often unwittingly sharing a conspiracy theory or misinformation because we slowed down to realize what's actually going on. And that is the way of wisdom that we see modeled throughout Scripture, especially in the book of Proverbs. Are we going to follow the way in the path of wisdom? Or we're going to follow Lady Folly and give in to kind of the perversion, the uh, seduction, uh, feeling like we're the ones in control of truth. We're the arbiter of truth. Or are we going to orient our lives around the truth and the wisdom and the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross? Yeah, it's really, really helpful in just thinking, thinking about how to, you know, engage in, in this discussion. And so I'm thinking now, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor you know, I'm a, maybe I'm, let's say a Sunday school teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a small group leader, youth leader, something, something like that. It, tell me how am I supposed to use, you know, my, my teaching and preaching in the church at whatever capacity that is. Um, again, you know, there's different uh, avenues for that in different churches, but how, how do I, as you know, a pastor or teacher in the church, engage people uh in in this type of a conversation right with with how how do i you know deal wisely in you know social media use and and to navigate you know a increasingly you know post-truth culture in in society you know how do i lead a, a congregation in a church to be uh, aware of some of those dangers and, and to not let it be so polarizing and anxiety inducing. What would you say to that? Yeah, there's a couple different ways I'd approach that. Um, one, I would say that you're, you actually have a lot more influence with your people than you realize. If they see you being a very reactionary kind of gut, kind of whatever happens, you immediately have an answer. You're kind of modeling that kind of engagement or even kind of social media use for your people. They're going to pick up on that. 
And so the idea of even just cultivating personal habits of slowing down, reading things, being slow, being careful, um, even as we did with starting this podcast, let's define our terms. What do we mean when we say X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. That kind of uh, pursuit of personal wisdom also is going to naturally have kind of an influence on the people we lead as well as they see us. Hey, he doesn't seem to be given over to a lot of the political rancor of the day. Um, he doesn't seem to be or he or she doesn't seem to be always kind of connected to their phone. We know those people. We've probably been those people in the middle of a conversation. We're picking yeah. up our phone to see what's going on. He seems connected. He seems grounded. They seem to be here. They seem to care about me as a person. Um, there's something that in that pursuit of wisdom, that kind of personal virtue of just being kind of a grounded, rooted person who's not just given over to whatever's happening today. That doesn't mean that we don't engage things. That doesn't mean that we don't speak. I think one of the ways that we can kind of swing the pendulum a little too far is that somehow we withdraw from society and we think that we shouldn't engage or we shouldn't speak truth. No, that's the furthest thing from the truth. We should. We should be uh, speaking truth, boldly proclaiming truth, but doing so with grace. One of the other kind of uh, things that I often teach my students is being very humble, um, and especially in the things that we know and the things that we don't know. I often try not to speak to things that I actually haven't studied a lot. Maybe I have an, an opinion or two, but as a leader, your opinion will often come off as fact. I know mm-hmm. I learned this in kind of preaching class that if you say, you know, X, Y, and Z happened or could have happened, your people will interpret that often as, oh, that is what happened, or that's kind of the authoritative (laughs) interpretation of this passage or whatever. So being humble and saying, you know, know, I'll get asked questions all the time, and I'll say, you know, that's a really great question. I haven't really studied that or I haven't really thought about that too much. Let me get back to you with an answer on that. Now, what do I do? I'll go back to my office and I read and I study and I look things up and I do some research to understand what it is, and then I come back to them. That idea of not having to have an answer in the moment But then also them realizing like, hey, they don't know everything and that you think that that is a place of weakness. It's actually a place of strength. And that's actually a place of good leadership is to just acknowledge, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I think that's a really good one. Let me let's learn about that together or let me go back and I'll come back to you and we can have a better conversation and dialogue about it. So there's a couple of ways of pursuing virtue. I think being very humble is part of one of those virtues, being very humble in what we know and what we don't know. And then also, I think teaching about these things. And I'm not asking or telling pastors or Sunday school leaders or small group leaders that you have to have a whole sermon or a whole whole series or a Bible study on technology per se. But this can be something that you teach along the way. Maybe you're teaching um, about the nature of truth and you bring in the uh, in the role of social media. Well, how do you do that? Well, maybe picking up a book on some of these ideas. I'm not saying you need to go and get the Digital Public Square. It's a good book, I think. Um, but it's an academic work. It's intentionally designed to go really deep on things. If this is kind of your first exposure to a lot of these ideas, you can pick up another book. And I don't want to just plug my books, but um, I do think they're good. Um, but a book that I wrote for kind of everyday person, everyday believers called Following Jesus in a Digital Age. It takes some of these ideas and kind of starts to unpack them in the nature of how technology is forming and shaping us, especially our pursuit of truth, identity, and a responsibility. That's kind of the framework of that book. Uh, but then even going even smaller than that is often kind of teaching the next generation. I have a little a book called A Student's Guide to Social media where I take some of these ideas again and kind of break them down for teenagers and for young people to be thinking about this. 
Because one of the things that um, someone is going to be teaching our people about the world and how to interact with the world and even the nature and uh, kind of form of social media and kind of what wisdom is, someone's going to be teaching that. And one of the things that I want from church leaders and I want the church to be proactive is to be the ones that be the place that we can ask the hard questions, that we can engage in tough discussions, that we can mm-hmm. care for one another, love one another um, as we seek to uh, kind of this common pursuit of truth together and in, uh, in increase post-truth society, as you mentioned. Yeah, no, I think those are really, really helpful things to, to help the church really think about. You know, this is this is something that I think people are interested in, but it's mm-hmm. something that affects, you know, all of us. And especially, you know, as you mentioned, young, young people, and, and we're just really starting to get, you know, some of the initial studies and, yeah. and things done on, on this type of, you know, impact. And so, you know, it, it's it's a reality. It's the world that we live in. For some of us, our our jobs, you know, our livelihood, our income depends upon using technology and social media and, and different things. And so, uh, like you said, it, it's not necessarily you know an option to totally disengage from everything, you know, nor you know should we, but just to be able to enter into, you know, using these these platforms in these things in a way that's wise, also knowing that. You know, it shapes us and we have to guard um, ourselves and and teach our people in our churches really well uh, just how it is, you know, affecting them. And, and to not be afraid, I think, to, you know, step in and, you know, use some of these things as applications in, in yeah. teaching and in sermons and, and in, in counseling. And it's got to be part of that, right, as a, as a pastor of you're talking to somebody, you know, in the counseling room and we've got to ask these these type of questions you know how, how are these things uh, affecting you you know how are you accessing you know these different things because it because it does affect people's mental and physical health you know, and their spiritual health right yeah. so it, it's almost um, impossible not to talk about it but I feel like a lot of us are you know f- feel you know maybe ill-equipped to have that conversation and so I think uh, works like this, and then the other ones that you mentioned that would be more intro, you know, level works for for people to dive into are are super helpful. So maybe the last question here is, you know, I'm going to link to the digital public square in the show notes as well as following Jesus in a digital age. Are there any other resources that you would recommend our listeners check out in light of our conversation today? Yeah, one thing I want to say to kind of build off a point you just made before getting yeah. into some of the resources. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, and I've written a little bit about this, is we have a tendency today to kind of bifurcate our lives. We see like mm-hmm. the online me and the real me. And this even happens in our churches where we have like this idea of my online persona, even if you don't have a large influence or following or something like that, is that you act in a particular way online in a different way. You know, you often hear mm-hmm. this kind of, well, he's a lot nicer once you get to know him. Well, <laughs> yeah. that should be the last thing said of Christians. Uh, mm-hmm. We are real life is online and quote real life in the kind of physical embodied space. And so if and one of the things kind of a practice that I've tried to kind of inculcate in my own life and I encourage others to do the same is if you wouldn't say that to somebody to their face, then you shouldn't be saying it online either. 
if you can't interact with people and be and see the humanity, see the person, they're not just an avatar, they're not just this online persona, that they're mm-hmm. a real flesh human being. And one of the things uh, that I'll probably write about soon too is that often behind kind of that happy profile picture or whatever, there's actually a person. There's a person with brokenness. There's a person with uh, different stresses and anxieties in their life. There are joys in their life you don't know about. Just because somebody doesn't post things online doesn't mean that there aren't a lot more things going on underneath that but this idea that like we can have one life online like an online community versus an offline community and these are two kind of separate aspects of our life um, really should be kind of completely anathema for christians that we are to be the same Mm -hmm. people now what that also means is that we may have a quote online community people that we've met online connected with online but we've never met in real life and i always kind of get uh, in a habit of when i know somebody quote online and then i meet them in person it's good to finally uh, like meet you yeah or get to know you <laughs> or to sit down with you uh-huh. to see you and to realize kind of that infl- embodied nature of what it means to be human is we're not just avatars we're not just souls but that we're embodied creatures and that our minds and our bodies matter and that god has created us in a particular way as an image bearer in terms of some resources, um, obviously, I think some of these books are helpful. We also have a Bible study version of the Following Jesus in a Digital Aid book um, into a six-session video Bible study. But uh, some thinkers that I've been really influenced by, and you can always go to kind of the the uh, kind of footnotes or the endnotes of books sure. to find. That's actually one of the best places to find kind of the influences on people. Um, I would check out some of the works by Tony Ranke. Uh, Tony is a very, very thoughtful uh, leader, very, very thoughtful writer, especially in technology issues. He has a recent book called like God Christian or God something in technology. I can't remember the exact title, um, but it is a very, very well done book talking almost like a biblical theology mm-hmm. of technology. And I found that really helpful to kind of expand our view of what technology is, how we can u- use technology for the glory of God, you know, the love of God, a love of neighbor. Um, so Tony writes a, a lot of good things. He also does a lot of really good articles um, kind of on the ways our f- smartphones are shaping us or changing us. So Tony has some great work. Um, a lot of the work by Andy Crouch is also very, very helpful. He has kind of his tech-wise family that a lot of people know about. He has a book called Culture Making. Mm-hmm. He also has a new one called The Life We're Looking For about relationships online. Um, so there's a lot of really good work there. Other leaders like Chris Martin has a number of good books. Um Samuel James has a really new uh, new book coming out later this year called Digital Liturgies. Highly encourage folks to check that out. Um, there is an increasingly uh, increasing number of Christian authors and writers engaging in the technology space, which is really encouraging to me. Yeah, it is. And I, I want more people kind of proactively engaging in these things rather than the kind of knee-jerk, uninformed responses that we often see online is to have folks. And I encourage you, you know, dig deep read a book meaning you can read it digitally but like digging down picking up a book diving into it and slowing down a little bit it's so easy to get those bite-sized 280 character chunks online Mm -hmm. rather than getting down and saying no things are a lot more nuanced things are a little bit more complex than what passes for truth on social media slow down ask the hard questions as we seek to honor and kind of follow jesus wisely in the digital age Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I link uh, to those in in the show notes. And Jason, I really appreciate you joining me for this conversation. I I pray that it's edifying and fruitful and helpful for anyone who listens. And I enjoyed being able to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Caleb. I enjoyed it myself. Listeners, 
If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Share it with your friends and give it a good review, whether written or just clicking some stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps others find this show that may be interested in gospel-centered resources like this one. Also, if you have an idea for an episode or someone you'd like for me to interview, please reach out to me and let me know. Thank you, and until next time.